Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. So why watch that TV talk? Everybody knows. Everybody knows what this TV talk really is about. I'm scared. So I'm going to call it this. (laughs) Game of Thrones and other TV shows you didn't watch. (laughs) That's what this TV talk is about. Ugh. shows before we get to game of thrones so you can put your volume back up everybody (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the question is is this the best show on the list oh see the shade winter is here there's no room for shade (laughs) gone spring has sprung winter is here and who will sit on the throne well (laughs) First, let's go to the series premiere <laughs> portion of the of the show. The code. Who cares? I don't even care about the code. Let's get to Game of Thrones, but okay. Talk about shade. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, I do. The that was an eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> On CBS, the code. Now, I, I w- there's all these code blue, code red, the code, but this is different. This is not a medical procedure um kind of show procedural what is this it's a legal procedural exactly (laughs) (laughs) well look okay so the titular code is the uniform code of military justice which governs the u.s military's legal system and in this show we see how this code is used by the Marine Corps judge advocates who are attorneys serving as prosecutors, defense attorneys, or since they're active duty Marines, combat officers and soldiers. Oi, oi, oi. So what do we say? It's a procedural. <laughs> right, good gosh. CBS has perfected it. Yeah, and in episode one, things start off with the shocking murder of a commanding officer by one of his subordinate soldiers. Now this commanding officer was a friend of Captain John Abe Abraham, played by Luke Mitchell, who's a prosecutor. And he's asked by his friend's widow to take charge of the court martial. Mm. Now, this means that with the permission of commanding officer Colonel Glenn Turnbull, who's played by Dana Delaney, Abe will be the lead prosecutor for the case instead of his friend and superior, Major Trey Ferry, who's played by Otto Esando. Mm. Also, Abe has to go up against another friend of his, Captain Maya Dobbins, who's the defense attorney and who's played by Anna Wood. However, as the two sides trade barbs and fight to uncover supporting evidence, 
they find out that there's more to the case than they previously thought. And so the question for them is this, should they continue to merely pursue a win in court or should they join forces to pursue justice regardless of which side prevails? In your opinion. <laughs> when I think of military pursuit, I would think of, in your opinion, from what show? The Good Wife. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> the code announces itself as yet another procedural without a pulse. And from what I can tell, oh boy. they must think that their hook is that these are the good guys who will pursue justice at any cost, but the execution is just too bland and clunky to make that interesting. I mean, at best, the writing and by extension, the acting are merely passable. So if you're a huge fan of military legal procedurals and are still upset about CBS's decision to cancel JAG in 2005, <laughs> <laughs> the code might be for you. Uh, I guess it's CBS's way of saying sorry. Otherwise, we're moving on. In your opinion. <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> well, listen, anytime you... Listen, I like saying the F word. Uh-oh. I like saying the F word, and I like saying it frequently. But what do I mean by that? I mean Fossey. Oh. oh jazz hands all the way, baby. Fossey Verdict is now available. The first episode dropped... Uh, as of taping last week. It's a miniseries on FX. And you think Ryan Murphy would, I just, for some reason it feels like it would be a Ryan Murphy triumph, you know, that kind of thing. Well, Fosse Vernon is, a, you'll hear, I'm sure from the critic, but if you have ever smelled a musical, I'm not talking about being in it, but just like smelled what a musical sounds like, you know that this man and actually this woman, this team really shaped the modern musical uh, as we know it today, the edgy musical. And at this point, what, the longest running musical? Yeah, I don't Broadway? know, but one of them, yeah. Well, yeah. Chicago, yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the longest running revivals, we'll say that. Yeah, um, definitely. On Broadway right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, things start off with a look at an old Bob Fosse. Yeah. Played by Sam Rockwell. And his comb over. <laughs> who, who is a character. <laughs> <laughs> who, as the ref was alluding to, was and still is one of the most influential choreographers of all time. Of all time, guys. All time. After all, he won every award imaginable as a choreographer and director. Yeah. With Chicago, as we said, and Cabaret, among others, in his portfolio. But in this moment, as he looks at himself in the mirror, snippets of old memories force their way back into his consciousness, haunting him. And then we're taken back in time to when, as is stated on screen, there are 19 years left. Yes. What does that mean? Yeah. 19 years left for what? Hmm. Well, if you know your Fosse history, you'll be able to figure that out. Because at this time... Don't look it up. He's with his love, his muse, and his most influential collaborator, Gwen Verdon, who's played by Michelle Williams. And they're prepping for Fosse's film version of Sweet Charity. Hmm. So we see how they work together in private, and then we see how they work together in public to coax the right kinds of performances out of their dancers in order to get the right shot. 
and they're not afraid to dispatch with dancers in pursuit of their vision. Come on. I mean, these are uncompromising artists, after all, but they're not harsh about it. No. And most importantly, this is a true partnership. Yeah. But why isn't Gwen starring in the movie? Hmm? Huh, and you know who did. And what happens when they're not together? Uh-huh. And with that, Fosse Verdon takes us through 19 years of that titular and turbulent relationship. It's ups and downs, it's moments of love and moments of anger, and it's wins and losses, which begs this question. Will viewers have a separate and collective understanding of both Fosse and Verdon after this series' eight episodes? Because... This was a relationship between a one-of-a-kind, hyper-talented man who wasn't still as revered as a genius despite his failings, and a woman who was such an important part of making that genius a reality and who had her own obvious talents and idiosyncrasies to boot. I mean, just what does it take to be either of these people? Yeah. In addition, we're going to see how their relationship and how their separate professional lives were affected by the likes of producer, director, composer, Cy Fuhrer, played by (laughs) Paul Reiser, (laughs) and Riking. Anne is dipping in there. She will hold on now. Who's played by Margaret Qualley. Patty Chayefsky, who's played by Norbert Leo Butts. Mm -hmm. Neil Simon, who's played by Nate Cordry. Cheetah Rivera, Liza with a Z Minnelli. Shirley MacLaine, Dustin Hoffman, their daughter Nicole, and many more. Yeah, yeah. So, as you can tell, Fosse Verdon has a lot of territory to cover over the course of its eight episodes. And luckily, it has a strong cast, led by Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams, who are predictably good, finding nice subtleties of characterization, and who are surrounded by veterans of both the stage and the screen. However, when you're depicting icons of musical theater, Come on. the story begs to be amped up. Come on, tell it, critic. And on that count, it's when Fosse and Verdon go to work together that this show has a spark, not to mention musical numbers. For instance, in the Sweet Charity film sequence, there's an energy and an urgency that's not over the top, which is successful but it's also not quite matched by the rest of the first episode until they get to the cabaret film sequence toward its end. And while I understand the need to keep this show grounded, the result is just that. It just doesn't have enough energy and urgency on a consistent basis to soar. It's in desperate need of some rhythm. Mm -hmm. So we'll see whether they find it in the episodes to come. Even still for now, Fosse Burden is good. And it fits what we've come to expect from FX dramatic miniseries. Thank you, Ryan Murphy. The mm-hmm. only problem is that it just doesn't feel special, at least not yet. I mean, what do you think, Ref? No, it's, listen, all I have to say is Fosse is jazz. Mm. It should feel like jazz. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, take a leap. So hopefully I'm with you. Hopefully we'll get to see something spark here because... There are a lot of eyes watching this. I'm like, mm, let me t- let me see. Well, let's move on. You say a lot of side eyes. Special, which is on Netflix. Mm. Hmm. Is it special? Well, <laughs> you know, you covered that title, <laughs> right? We really want to know. I don't know much about this, so please do tell us about it. Well, in this Jim Parsons produced series. 
Ryan, played by and inspired by creator Ryan O'Connell, is special. But why is he so special? Well, because he has a mild form of cerebral palsy, which results in a minor physical disability. And this saddens Ryan because he's neither disabled enough nor able-bodied enough to fit in anywhere. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's in no man's land. Yikes. You know, it's like, oh, no. Plus, Ryan happens to be gay. So just how is he supposed to navigate both of these worlds? Now, what Ryan does have going for him is his sense of humor, which means that he's not afraid to make fun of himself and others in an inappropriate yet inviting way. He's pleasant about it. In addition, he has an overprotective mom, played by Jessica Hecht, to whom he lies occasionally to make things easier. And he's at the beginning of an internship at Eggwoke, a millennial online media outlet that's run by Olivia, played by Marla Mendel, who's the quintessential I'm over everything boss, including all things Ryan, except for the brief period when she discovers that they have what she thinks is a shared experience. And by the way, the internship is unpaid, so Ryan's compensated in insults. However, in his corner is his new co-worker, Kim, played by Poonam Patel, who's not afraid to speak her mind. And with that, along with Ryan's forays into trying to find romance, via the help of Grindr and other alternatives, so be prepared for that. Oh, gosh. Special attempts to provide a unique take on TV comedy. And its strength lies in two things. One, its presentation of Ryan's perspective in a way that can be mildly amusing and sweet, but not too sweet and even bittersweet at times. And two, each episode is not much longer than 15 minutes, which is refreshing. However, I'm not sure that the characterizations outside of Ryan are all that new. And so it all comes down to the dialogue, which isn't bad, but it's not sharp enough to overcome how surprisingly familiar some, though not all of it feels. I think Ryan as a creator and writer could push the comedy along with the spots of drama even more. Even still though, for people who are interested in specials premise, I say check it out. It's good enough to warrant that. Gotcha. Well, let Miss Horrible. Uh-oh. <laughs> is back. I mean, I feel like we have had a lot of Les Mis yeah. in the past 10 years. It's been doing, it still is doing well on stage. It tours, so it's coming whipping through your town, your, your local performing arts center. We just had a movie musical starring Hugh Jackman and Academy Award winning Anne Hathaway. We also, not too long ago, had a non-musical series that I think Liam Neeson or somebody was in that was very, very recent, I feel like. Yeah, and movie. now, yeah, the movie version, but it was not a musical. Now we're back on PBS. It is the most depressing show ever. Nobody wins, but we love it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I'm look, we all know this story, right? Uh, if you don't, you really had to do a good job of avoiding it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's this exceedingly strong French dude named Jean Valjean, this time played by Dominic West, who steals a loaf of bread to feed his family, then he's caught and given an unbelievably harsh sentence. Then he becomes a parolee who resorts to stealing again from a bishop, played by the always great Derek Jacobi. But the bishop's forgiveness puts Jean Valjean back on the straight and narrow with a little hiccup at the start. Valjean then becomes a mayor and a wealthy man, yeah. But things don't last long because after a series of events, 
He's taken rather willingly at first from his new life, only to find himself on the run from the dogged and rigidly principled Inspector Javert, who was his former warden of sorts and who in this series is played by David Oyelowo. However, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, let that settle. However, (laughs) the holdover from Jean Valjean's time of prosperity is his adoption of Cosette, whom he rescued from the clutches of the villainous Thenardiers, <laughs> and who's the daughter of Fontaine, a woman played by Lily Collins, who worked for him, only to be treated rather abominably and ruined yeah. before her tragic death, which he's partially responsible for. And then Cosette grows up and falls in love with Marius, a young law student and eventual revolutionary who loves her back. But there's Eponine, who loves Marius too, and she's Marius. the Thenardier's daughter. Mm. And of course, even more happens, including a deadly uprising, and all of it's rather devastating. And I just skipped over a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, you did. But ultimately, it all comes down to how long Jean Valjean can evade Javert. And the question is, what will the ravages of time do to both men? And what's the true power of forgiveness? Now. Is this a musical? Let's get to it. Please keep in mind that this miniseries is based on Victor Hugo's seemingly interminable novel. So it's not the musical. Okay, so listeners again. Not the musical. (laughs) (laughs) And I know there's been consternation about that. Not the musical. The musical did not come first. (laughs) Okay. Oh, but that's good. Thank you for that. Yeah. And in this miniseries, there's enough time to really flesh out Hugo's story over the course of six parts which lasts a little over six hours in total. And that fleshing out is welcome. I mean, it starts by showing Thenardier picking dead men's pockets right after the Battle of Waterloo, which leads to all sorts of subsequent connections and the crossings of paths. And as a result, you get a better sense of who many of these characters are and why they are who they are. Now, in regard to the cast, which is chock full of British actors who, in the most authentic of ways, speak English and British dialects, <laughs> the lion's share of the work falls on the shoulders of Dominic West as Jean Valjean, which comes as no surprise. And he's a great fit for that role. He's always listening, watching, breathing, and responding. You can really feel it, unfortunately, when things drift away from him. Now, while David Oyelowo isn't the most natural of fits as Javert, yeah, yeah, he does something interesting throughout most of this miniseries. He brings an easy intelligence and contempt to the role, which is a smart choice for him. Mm-hmm. For Lily Collins as Fontaine, she starts with an effortless joy and innocence that eventually turns to weariness and then to heartbreaking desperation. And she has some of the most moving moments in this miniseries, which is as it should be. Right. And, and then, yeah. And then rounding out the actors with the most screen time are Oscar winner Olivia Coleman as Madame Thenardier. Oh my gosh. And Adil Akhtar as the self-proclaimed Sergeant Thenardier, hero of Waterloo. And those two make for a nimble and nasty pair. Now, when it comes to their supporting cast, Andrew Davies, who wrote the excellent Bleak House, Little Dorrit, and Pride and Prejudice BBC miniseries. Okay. Yeah, has added some nice little touches to those characters in a script, 
especially during the first few parts, which the cast brings to life rather well. So while some cast members are more successful than others, overall they do a pretty good job. But what about everything else? Well, the pace is fine. Things don't lag and drag too much for the most part. Also, while the score can be intrusive, it gets the job done. However, this six-part series is better during many, though not all, of its harsher and tenser moments, along with its occasionally tender, heartfelt moments during its first half. It's more grounded at those times, especially during the second and third parts. And as a result, this miniseries has many peaks along with relative valleys. And so all told, this latest iteration of Les Miserables falls short in regard to consistency, which means that instead of sustaining a level of greatness, it settles for being pretty good overall. Okay, interesting. Hmm. And now we're moving into, wait a minute, the refs, you know, the ref has been a champion of this show. Come on! She is forcing it on all of us. She's forcing it on me. <laughs> and you like it. And the name of it is Shit's Creek. Oh, yes. Ooh, I'm telling But you. it's not the bad word. <laughs> okay. It is of a rolling shit. Which, <laughs> 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 when you say the name in full, it just you, it makes sense. Anyway. So we have this from Eugene and Daniel Levy. They created it. They star in it along with a whole bunch of people. We are in season five. Catherine O'Hara is still doing her work. (laughs) And we have, uh, yeah, we have one final season coming next year of 14 episodes. So tell us, where are we now at the end of season five, Ref? Oh, I love this show. (laughs) Every time I hear pom, pom, pom. Um, I get really excited to kind of know what that is when you get there. Okay, so now, David. (laughs) (laughs) David is, uh, David and, we'll just say the Rose family in general. They have fully settled in Schitt's Creek. Now, remember I said towards the beginning of this season, we did get a glimpse during the Christmas special of their, well, maybe it was like in between last year and this year was that weird um, episode. We got a glimpse of their actual lives that they left and they weren't happy. They weren't a close family, but this season has come completely full circle because not only have they grown closer as a family, but they've also grown closer as a community because... The town is putting on a musical. Ooh, this is the theme of this. <laughs> yeah, like which one is it? Cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we know that Moira earlier on in the season, she had just wrapped her first movie. Remember, she is a, a, a very well-known soap opera star and actress. And of course, with the bankruptcy, she hadn't gotten any roles and finally landed a role. But the question is... Is it going to pay off? Will people be able to see it? I'm going to leave that in the air. (laughs) And where did they shoot the film? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave that one in the air, but she did have to fly to get there and there was jet lag. I'll just say that. Um, so the, the town every year puts together, or at least this year, puts together a musical. And that's the focus of season five, getting prepared for cabaret. But I will say that some unlikely, very unlikely folks are going to be in this musical. Namely, Stevie. <laughs> Playing Sally. 
Now, put those two together. And of course, David's longtime boyfriend, Patrick, will be playing opposite of her. What? Yeah, he's my favorite character, by the way. Oh, he, I told you. I told you. I told love you. him. Love the actor. Absolutely. He does it right. I've never seen such good work between two people that is traditionally, it could be buffoonery. Yeah. And he doesn't play it that way. But anyway, so the town gathers together and helps this musical get off the ground. But the question is, what are the road bumps, as you know in Shit's Creek, that will come their way? And also, on the side note, the Rose Hotel is getting better and better and getting more and more reviews. And we know this season, Stevie did meet someone special. But what became of that relationship? Is she able to carry on and get through this hump of lack of men that's been in her lives? I mean, the last guy she was really, really with was David. And we know how that turned out. David then went on to other people. <laughs> Mr. Polyamorous, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, will Stevie find love? You'll have to watch to find out. Um, also, Alexis is <laughs> now back with her longtime boyfriend, Ted, who is a veterinarian. Now, there are some big, huge news that Ted gets that will test their relationship. And the question is, will Alexis come through for Ted? It does involve overseas travel. Hmm. Mm. You'll be surprised at what she chooses. I was. Okay. You think, oh, she's grown. She's come full circle. Mm, has she? You'll have to find out. Now, of course, Johnny Rose, the father, the patriarch, is well into making sure this hotel is as best as it can be. He's found a new love, a new business uh, that he has, and he really, it, it, he gets awarded they go to this big convention and he gets a big award but the question is does he take all the credit for himself like he did the first time or is he willing to continue to share and expand and really dig his heels into the community you'll have to watch to find out but here's the big one there is a proposal there is an acceptance of that proposal Ooh. but who is it <laughs> it may not be who you think it is. Mm. That was the big kicker for season five. Now, listen, everybody's top notch. I don't have to talk about this, really. Everybody knows what they're doing. There is not one single weak link in this entire cast. It's a well-oiled machine. You know that they're improving probably a good 40% mm. of what you see on screen, which is a marvel to watch. I just want more and more, but unfortunately, as you mentioned, the final season will be airing next year, but thank God we get 14 episodes. So guess who will be re-watching some episodes until then? And me, Shit's Creek on Netflix. Go ahead and try it or download the Pop app. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just so you know, everybody, in the Pop app, even if you don't have Netflix, a lot of those episodes are free. No, they totally are. They're completely yeah. free. But so, you have to do it quickly. Yeah, do it quick. But I'm just, even like all the way up to season four, yes. they're free. You don't even need pop. Well, you better you go and need, catch it. Yeah. And I, wow. I, I will surprise you, Ref. I am caught up on Shit's Creek. I knew you would. I knew you would because you talked about David and I knew it. You <laughs> like it, don't you? You love it, don't you? Yeah, I, I will concur with everything the Ref said. She is a, a wonderful bully. 
<laughs> and it's the best. I'm gonna stand by this. It's one of the best comedies on TV right now. Now, mm-hmm. but let's move on to why we're really talking here. Mm. It has been a frenzy. If you have not watched the Game of Thrones premiere for their final season, season eight, which aired as of this taping last night, which was on Sunday, you need to avoid all social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Many people say it did not disappoint. Some people said, mm, did it? We know that a lot of people are team White Walker. Some people are team Jon Snow. Some people are team Dragon Lady. I don't know because I haven't seen it. Ooh, <laughs> yep, you're coming for me. I already know. I'll get there. I'll get there. Mm. Guess who has seen it? The Critic. Yeah, and I pay for it. So, echoing the series opener, the first of the final six episodes of Game of Thrones begins with the arrival of Daenerys and Jon, who renounced his northern crown at Winterfell with their forces, including the Dothraki and the Unsullied, and two, two, two full-grown dragons. Oh my gosh, you are literally speaking another language. Right. They also appear with two shifty personages in the forms of Tyrion and Varys, along with the Hound, who who catches Arya's eye as she watches the procession with confidence. And this stately procession is received by Soothsayer Bran, who's now the ever-so-calm three-eyed Raven, and Sansa, whom Jon left in charge, along with her protector, Lady Brienne, and the other lords and ladies of the North behind her. And in the midst of all of this, Bran cuts to the quick by saying, the Night King has your dragon, the wall has fallen, the dead march south. Now, if only this show would have more of his attitude. And so the question that hangs over everyone's head is, will the North heed John's words and embrace Daenerys? After all, despite knowing full well that John's the one in their midst who actually fought White Walkers and lived to tell the tale, Sansa and the other leaders of the North aren't so convinced. But who am I to question Sansa? Because her own sister, Arya, who used to be her biggest critic, has this to say about her to John during their reunion. Quote, she's the smartest person I've ever met. Unquote. Really? Oh, no. Okay. All right. Whatever. Stop it. And then, as more and more talking and less and less action occurred, I kept wanting to scream to these people, hey, all y'all better get over it because winter is here. At least I thought it was. Oh, gosh. You know, we've been dealing with this for how long? (laughs) And to sum up my sentiments, here's what my brother said to me while we watched this show's long-awaited return. Quote, the problem is I have dragons, I have Bran, and I have White Walkers. Unquote. I couldn't put it any better. I mean, just consider how different this episode felt when it revealed the Night King's gruesome message in the form of a child. That's the show. But anyway, let's continue with the riveting moments from, you know, season eight, episode one. So at a different locale, there's Yara Greyjoy, whose name is Asha in the books and who's the sister of Theon. And Yara's being held captive by their uncle, Euron. But guess what? I don't care. Even still, it's obvious that her captivity won't last because Theon has a lot of redeeming to do. In addition, don't forget that uncle Euron wants to marry Cersei who's still flanked by that thing formerly known as the Mountain, who's the Hound's brother. 
And of course, Cersei's going to use that to her advantage. We saw that. But before she gets to it, she lets former sellsword Braun know through sneaky former Maester Kyburn that she wants him to take care of her traitorous brothers, Tyrion and Jaime. But what do Tyrion and Jaime think of her? Hmm. Also back at Winterfell, there's everyone's favorite sad sack, Samuel Tarly, who receives devastating news from Daenerys during their very first meeting and who reunites with Jon, which gives Sam the chance to finally tell Jon that, oh, by the way, Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen were your parents, which means that you're the rightful king of Westeros. Uh-huh. So yeah, John, your newfound love, Daenerys, is actually your aunt. But no sweat. Yeah. Look. But no sweat because you Targaryens like to keep things in-house, remember? I mean, that's my note. That's what I say. However, things might get a little sticky when it comes to who should get to sit on the Iron Throne. And then this paragon of TV episodes ends with Jamie finally seeing Bran again after his and Cersei's dastardly doings, which is followed by a cut to black. And that ending is a shining example of how this show's penchant for giving people blue, you know what, pays off. That's what's going on here. And so, what was this episode really about? Well, a lot of it was about different characters meeting again after quite some time or for the first time and sharing information that we, the audience, already know. Mm. So it was more about waiting to see how they react than learning a lot of new stuff, though there were a few new crumbs sprinkled in. But was it enough to justify an hour-long episode? I mean, come on. However, I will say that the previous season of Game of Thrones started off on an annoyingly mild note, only to turn into something quite entertaining, which better happen here as well. Because this show's strength and its weakness is its urgency or lack thereof. I mean, they ended last season on a riveting, consequential, and memorable note, only to come back with a weak introduction to one of the most hyped seasons of television ever. So the question is... How long will it take you, Game of Thrones, to get to it? You've got five more episodes, a new opening sequence, and winter's supposedly here. So what are you waiting for? Ooh, with 17.9 million tuning in that night live. (laughs) I would say we're going to find out next episode like everybody else. Listen, winter is here. Television is here. Are you here? You better stay here, right here, at Why Watch That. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.